In this recording, we're going to go through some supplemental material regarding the two pieces in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Halevi on Hilchos Me'ilah. So we're going to begin with an idea from Rab Chaim, which he does not record in this Sefer, but it is recorded in a number of authoritative Sfarim from his students. Then we'll see how that idea seems to be in the background of the first piece of Hilchos Me'ilah. And then we'll see how there seems to be a contradiction between the first piece and the second piece in Hilchos Me'ilah. And finally, Finally, we'll see what potential solutions there are for all this. The Rambam in Hilchus Gneva Perak Beis Halacha Aleph writes: Hagonev Hagoy Oshiganav Nichse Hektish. If someone steals something from a non-Jew or they steal an item of Hektish, Eno Mishalim Ela Hakaren Bilvad, you do not pay the extra fines of double or four or five times which the Torah imposed because these cases are excluded from the fines. All the person would have to pay is the immediate value of the item that they stole. Shnaim Ari Shalim Shnaim Lerei Ehu because the Torah says that you pay double to your friend. So friend excludes hektish and non-Jews. So in those cases, there is no fine of double. The person only pays the karen, the actual value. Similarly, if someone steals kudshim from the house of the owners, so whether it's kudshim, kudshim, kudshim kalim, whether it's the stricter one or the more lenient one, bein kudshim she'en habalim chayavim b'achrayusan, bein b'kudshim she'a whether the owners have a responsibility to replace it or whether the owners don't have a responsibility to replace it. Either way, he doesn't have to pay any of the fines of double or four or five times. Because the Torah says if it's stolen from the house of a person, not from the house of hektish. So the Rambam records two different psukim which seems to exclude the same thing that someone who steals hektish doesn't pay the fines that a normal thief would pay. The first is Yishalim Shnaim Lirei Ehu. He pays double to his friend, so that excludes hektish. The second is Viguna Mibesaish. It's stolen from the house of a person as opposed to if it's stolen from hektish. Now, both of these psukim seem to be excluding the same thing. So the Lachamishn immediately quotes that Tosos and Babakama Samach Gimel Amid Aleph asks this question Why do we need two different psukim to exclude? seemingly the same case. So the Lecha Mishnah says that from the language of the Rambam, there's an answer to this question of Tosvos because the Rambam adds in that it's not only Kudshim where the owners don't have to replace the stolen animal, but even if the owners are going to have to replace it. So in that language, the Rambam is answering Tosus's question because if only for the first Pasuk of Lirei Ehu that one doesn't have to pay Hektish because it's not their friend, we would have thought that's only when the owners don't need to replace it. But if they do need to replace it, so according to the view of Reb Shimon and the Gemara, Davar HaGorim Lemamon Kemamon Dami, something which causes money is as if it has a value, even if it inherently has no value. So since the owner has to replace this animal, it's going to cause cost him money to replace the stolen animal, so that is considered his property. So that's why we need a second Pasuk to say Mibesaish only from a person, not from Hektish. And in Hilchus Nizke Mamun Perek Ches Halacha Aleph, Lecha Mishnah adds more to this answer because the Rambam also specified not only Kudshe Kudshim, the stricter Kudshim, but even Kudshim Kalim, the more lenient ones. So he refers to the opinion of Rabbi Yossi Aglili that Kudshim Kalim is considered the owner's 
money. So again, the Rambam is telling us if only for the Pasuk of Re'ehu, we would have thought that it excludes someone who steals Kudshay Kudshim, which don't belong to the owner, but Kudshim Kalim, which according to Rabbi Yossi Aglili, do belong to the owner, are not excluded from the fines. So that's why we need Mibesa Ish to exclude even that. So the Rambam who specifies not only Kudshay Kudshim, but also Kudshim Kalim, not only if the owner doesn't have to replace it, but even if he does have to replace it, is trying to tell us that we need a second Pasuk because of the views of Rabbi Yossi Aglili and Rabbi Shimon, who in some way believe that there are cases where the owner owns the Kudshim animal. So we need a second Pasuk to exclude even that case. So that's the Lecha Mishnah's overall approach to answer Tosus's question based on the language of the Rambam. So the implication of how the Lecha Mishnah reads this Halacha is that in general we would have assumed that the thief should pay the fine to Hektish. The money would go to the Beisam Mikdash. So on that we have the exclusion of Re'ehu, that the thief doesn't have to pay the Beisam Mikdash. But then there are cases where we might have thought the thief has to pay the actual owners. So there we need a second exclusion to say that the thief doesn't pay the owners either. But the general assumption is that if someone steals Kudshim, they're stealing from the Beisam Mikdash. And if they have to pay the fine, the extra money would go to the Beisam Mikdash. So Rab Chaim suggested a totally different reading of this halacha. He suggested that our assumption would not have been that the money should go to the Beisam Mikdash, but rather that the money should go to the owners. And this is based on a radical idea that Rab Chaim had, that when someone sanctifies an animal to be a carbon, they still own it financially, even though it's now sanctified to be used as a carbon. The ownership doesn't change hands from the owners to the Beisam Mikdash, the original owners continue to own the animal, even though it's now designated and sanctified to be a carbon. So this is a very new and original idea from Rab Chaim. It's quoted in a number of sources. It's quoted by his main Talmud, Rab Baruch Ber, in Berka Shmuel, Baba Kamasim, and Lamed Dalid, as well as the Imre Moshe, who was a Rosh Hashiva in Brisk, Rab Moshe Sokolovsky in Simon Mem, as well as in the Chidusha Hagrach Alashas and Baba Kama there, as well as in the Torah's Zroim from Rab Aryeh Pomeranchik, who was one of Rab Chaim's son, the Briskerov's close Talmidim. So he quotes that he had heard this idea from the Briskerov in the name of Rab Chaim in his commentary on the Mishnah Trumos, Parak Aleph, Mishnah Gimel, as well as by Rab Chaim's grandson, Rab Yashaber, in his Rishimos Shiurim Anidarim. So he also discusses this idea at some length. So this is a well established idea from Rab Chaim. And basically, Rab Chaim argued that when someone sanctifies a carbon to the Beisam, Mikdash, Kodshe Mizbeach, it does not switch ownership. It does not belong to the Beis Mikdash. It continues to belong to them. What changes is the sanctification status. So now this animal is sanctified, so it has special rules, but the financial status of the animal does not change. And that's different from Kodshe Bedek which is donated for the upkeep of the Beis Mikdash. So there, the whole purpose is to give the money to the Beis Mikdash. So that money does switch ownership, and it now belongs to the Beis Mikdash. So so even though it has a lesser inherent level of sanctity than the Kudshem Izbeach, but it does financially belong to the Beisam Mikdash. So that's the basic idea that Rab Chaim suggested. So now using this idea, Rab Chaim answered why the Rambam and the Gemara need two different psukim 
to exclude a thief of hektish from paying the fine? The answer is that one applies to Kodshe Mizbeach and one is for Kodshe Berek The Pasuk of Re'ehu, that only if he steals from his friend, that only excludes Kodshe Berek because that no longer belongs to the friend. It belongs to hektish. So since the fine only applies to Re'ehu, it doesn't apply to Kodshe Berek But that will not exclude Kodshe Mizbeach because those do still belong to the friend. So they are included in Re'ehu. So from Re'ehu, we cannot exclude Kodshe Mizbeach. So that we need Mibes Ha'ish from the house of the person, whereas Kodshe Mizbeach, even though they do belong to the person financially, but since they've been sanctified, so they're now considered Mamon Gavoa, they're in the property of Hashem because they need to be used for a hectish purpose. So that's excluded from Mibes Ha'ish. It's not the house of a person, it's really the house of Hashem. So stealing from the house of Hashem, which is Kodshe is also not included in the fines. But that's why we need two different exclusions because neither one of them will exclude both categories. Mibes Ha'ish only excludes Kodshe Mizbeach, which are part of the house of Hashem, but it doesn't exclude Kodshe Berek which are not designated for use as a sacrifice. And Re'ehu only excludes Kodshe Berek which no longer belong to the owner, but it doesn't exclude Kodshe Mizbeach, which do remain financial financially the owner's property. So that's the explanation why we need these two psukim. Now, Rab Chaim had a proof for this from the Gemara in Babakama Ein Vav. The Gemara has a case of Gonav Vehiktish V'achakach Tavachu Machar. Someone steals an animal, then they make it hektish, and then they slaughter or sell it. So the Gemara says they have to pay the double fine for stealing it, but they don't pay the four or five for selling or slaughtering it, because by the time they sold or slaughtered it, it was already hektish. So they're not going to have to pay the fine for that moment, but they do have to pay the double, which happened before they made it hectish. So the Gemara asks, it makes sense that for the slaughtering or the selling, they don't have to pay the fine because it was already hectish, but what about the moment they made it hectish? That's the equivalent of selling the animal, so why don't they have to pay the four or five fine for making this animal hectish, which is the equivalent of selling it? The Gemara says, What is it matter if they sell it to a person or if they sell it to heaven. So the Gemara answers, There's a big difference, says the Gemara. When someone sells the animal to a regular person, first it was Ruvain's animal, and now it's Shimon's animal. So it switched ownership, and on that case, the Torah gave a fine. But When someone sells it to heaven, meaning they make it hectish, first it was Ruvain's animal, and now it's still Ruvain's animal. So the Gemara seems to say that it never switched ownership by becoming hectish. It still remains the ownership of the original owner. It was Ruvain's animal and it's still Ruvain's animal. So this seems like solid proof to Rab Chaim's approach that when someone sanctifies an animal, it doesn't switch the ownership. Now, there's a lot to say about Rab Chaim's idea here, and in the Sefer May Aaron from Reb Uri Yosef in Simon Vav, he has a very, very lengthy discussion about every detail of this idea from Rab Chaim, and he exhaustively goes through each of the ways that it's recorded in the different Sfarim of Rab Chaim's Talmidim, and he goes through each detail and discusses it at great length. So it's really a very, very impressive discussion, and it has a lot of information in there. Now, I'm not going to touch on most of the points that he raises, 
because I want to stay focused in this very much on the two pieces that we have in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi and how this idea is going to affect how we understand them and their relationship with each other. But I do want to mention one question that he quotes from the Sefer Bad Kodesh from Rabbi Beryl Pavarsky, the Rashiva of Panovich. So in Chelek Gimel Simin Nunhei, he quotes that his father, Rabbi David Pavarsky, who's also the Rashiva of Panovich, he asked the Brisker Rav a question about this idea of Rab Chaim, because the Gemara says in a few places that if someone obligates themselves to bring a carbon and then they die, so that obligation transfers over to their heirs, the estate is still obligated to fulfill that responsibility. So Rabbi David Pavarsky pointed out that this can only work if there's a financial element to the obligation to bring a carbon. But if it's purely a ritual concept, as Rab Chaim is saying, so then how could that transmit to the heirs? Heirs only inherit financial obligations. So the fact that someone's obligation to make a carbon transfers also to the heirs seems to indicate very clearly that it's not only a ritual issue, but there's also a financial component. And that's why it's part of the whole inheritance process. And that seems to contradict Rab Chaim's explanation. So Rab Beryl Pavarsky suggests that maybe the answer for Rab Chaim is to mitigate a little bit the force of what Rab Chaim is saying. What he means is that when someone sanctifies an animal, there's nothing financial at that moment. So the moment of sanctification doesn't change the financial ownership at all. But when they actually bring the carbon, so the moment when they offer it, that is a financial change because it switches the ownership. They give it over to Hektish at that moment. So even according to Rab Chaim, there is a financial component to bringing a carbon. It does switch ownership eventually, just it's not as early as everyone else assumes. It's not when the person makes the carbon, when they sanctify the animal. It's when they actually bring the animal as a carbon, that's when the financial switch happens. So that's why there is a financial component and that could pass along through the inheritance. Now, it's also worth noting that Rabbi Yosef Engel in the Asman Daoraisa Klal Gimel, so he also quotes basically the same idea as Rab Chaim, but he quotes it in a different and very nice way. He says that when he was a kid, he heard this idea from Rabbi Yehuda Archeser. There's a case in the Gemara where someone sanctifies a well, and then on its own, it fills up with water. So the Gemara says there's no me'ila on the water. We mentioned this issue in the previous recording, whether there's me'ila on things which are not sanctified explicitly. So Rabbi Yehuda Archeser explained the reason there's no me'ila is because in general, Hektish doesn't own anything. The Pasuk in Tehillim says, Hashem ha'aretz umlo'ah, that Hashem owns everything. So what does it mean to say that Hektish owns this specific item when Hashem actually owns everything? So there's no such concept as Hektish owning anything. Me'ila means that if someone sanctified an object, then there's a prohibition to use it of Me'ila. But if they didn't sanctify it, but rather on its own, it ends up belonging to Hektish, so then there's no Me'ila because there's no meaning to the idea that Hektish could own something. Hashem owns the entire world. So Rabbi Yosef Engel adds that you could expand this idea even to a case where someone did sanctify something, that again, that item doesn't belong to Hektish, it's just that since someone sanctified it and they elevated the Kedusha of that item, so there's a prohibition to use it of Me'ila, but it doesn't belong to Hektish. So basically, Rabbi Yosef Engel is coming to the same conclusion as Rab Chaim, that sanctifying something doesn't mean it belongs to Hektish, but he formulates it in a very nice way.
Now, it's also worth mentioning that Reb Shimon Shkup in the Shari Yosher, Shar Gimel, Perak Chav Gimel, where he discusses all of these topics, so he originally suggests this same distinction as Reb Chaim, not mentioning Reb Chaim by name, so it seems like he came to it on his own, but then he rejects it. So there is someone who disagrees with this whole idea. Now, we mentioned when we learned the first piece in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi on Hilchus Me'ila, that this concept of Reb Chaim seems to be in the background of his whole discussion in that piece, because because Rab Chaim there differentiates between Kodshe Mizbeach versus Kodshe Berek whether we apply Naseis Mitzvasan, that once the mitzvah was completed, it loses Me'ila. So Rab Chaim said that only will apply to Kodshe Mizbeach because the whole purpose of the Kedusha is to bring it as a carbon. So once that's over, there's no more Me'ila. As opposed to Kodshe Berek where the Me'ila is based on the fact that it's owned, it's the property of the Beis HaMikdash. So that doesn't disappear once the item's been used and the mitzvah's over. So Rab Chaim is clearly making a distinction that Kodshe Mizbeach, the Me'ila comes from the fact that it's sanctified, as opposed to Kodshe Berakabayis, where the Me'ila comes from the fact that it's owned by the Beis HaMikdash. Now, as we mentioned in that recording, Reb Moshe Soloveitchik in his discussion of this Rambam, as well as the Chazon Yechezkel when he mentions Rab Chaim, so they both seem to understand that that idea in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi is very much based on this idea that we're mentioning in this recording from the Birka Shmuel and the Torah Zroyim, that Rab Chaim holds that the Beis HaMikdash does not own Kodshe Mizbeach. So the Me'ila is only based on the Kedusha in this item as opposed to Kodshe Berakabayis where the Beis HaMikdash does own them and that's what causes Me'ila. And that's how the commentary, the Atzei HaChaim, also understands this Rab Chaim. Now you could say the distinction in the Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi piece less dramatically than we're saying in this recording, you could say that at the end of the day, the Beis HaMikdash owns both items, whether Kodshe Mizbeach or Kodshe Berakabayis, the difference is why the Beis HaMikdash owns it. Kodshe Mizbeach, the Beis HaMikdash owns because it was sanctified. So once it's sanctified, it then transfers ownership to the Beis HaMikdash. Whereas Kodshe Berakabayis, the Beis HaMikdash owns it first financially, and that's what subsequently causes the Kedusha in the item. So we mentioned in that recording that that's another possible formulation, but Again, it seems likely that Rab Chaim's view in the first piece in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, Hilchus Me'ila, is very much based on the idea that we're mentioning in this recording. Now, there seems to be a problem between the first piece and the second piece, and the May Aaron quotes this question from the Sefer Birkas Avram, and he spends a lot of pages trying to answer this, because the second piece seems to totally contradict what we're saying in this recording. In the second piece of Hilchus Me'ila in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim Levi, Rab Chaim argued that the whole basis for the prohibition of Me'ila is Gezel Hektesh, that you're stealing from Hektesh. And Rab Chaim brought a number of proofs to that because the Gemara defines the word Me'ila as changing the purpose. So that seems to indicate it's taking from Hektesh what belongs to them, what should have been used in a different way, as well as the whole nature of Me'ila is that the prohibition has to be done with a minimum financial amount of money, a Shavet Pruta. It can be done over a long period of time. And if someone uses a little bit themselves and then gives some to their friend, we combine both of that and they violated Me'ila. So all of that indicates that Me'ila is not like regular Isurin, regular prohibitions like eating non-kosher meat, which do not work that way. But instead, Me'ila is more similar to stealing, which does work along those similar lines. So in that piece, Rab Chaim seems to say very clearly that all Me'ila, whether it's for Kodshe Berekabayis, whether it's for Kodshe Mizbeya, 
Pesach because his proofs apply to all categories of hektish. In all of those cases, the problem of Me'ila is stealing from hektish. Now, the obvious contradiction here is if Reb Chaim holds that Hektish doesn't even own Kodshe Mizbeach, so how could you define Me'ila on Kodshe Mizbeach as stealing from Hektish? Hektish doesn't own it. As we said in the first piece of Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, it seems to say that the Me'ila on Kodshe Mizbeach is because of their sanctity, not because he's stealing from Hektish. So this, ironically, actually seems to be the view of the Nesivas that we mentioned in the previous recording, that there is a difference. Kodshe Mizbeach, the problem of Me'ila is Isurin, because they're so sanctified. Kodshe Berekabayis, the problem of Me'ila is stealing from Hektish because it belongs to Hektish. So the Nesivas' understanding as to whether the problem of Me'ila is stealing from Hektish or violating an Isur fits very nicely with the idea of Rab Chaim in this recording, as well as his view in the first piece in Hilchus Me'ila of Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi. In both of those places, Rab Chaim himself makes a distinction between Kodshe Mizbeach and Kodshe Berekabayis, which is very much in line with the Nesivis. So Rab Chaim helps us understand the Nesivis' view that Kodshe Mizbeach is a problem of Isurin, Kodshe Berekabayis is a problem of Gezel, because according to Rab Chaim, the Beis HaMikdash doesn't even own Kodshe Mizbeach. But on the other hand, Rab Chaim in the second piece of Hilchos Me'ila contradicts the Nesivis, and he holds that Me'ila is always a problem of Gezel. So there seems to be a real contradiction here between the two pieces in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi. So the May Aaron, in his extensive discussion of this, presents three different possibilities as to how to resolve the contradiction between these two pieces in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi. The first is the Birkas Avram suggests that when Rab Chaim said that the owner doesn't lose their animal when they sanctify it as a carbon, as the Gemara in Babakama says, that when someone sanctifies an animal, originally it was Ruvain's animal and it's still Ruvain's animal. So the Birkas Avram says that what Rab means is not that the Beis HaMikdash doesn't own that animal. He means that the owners continue to own the animal, but the Beis HaMikdash also owns the animal. So this is a major modification of what Rab Chaim's approach is. Instead of saying that Rab Chaim holds Kodshe Mizbeach are not owned by the Beis HaMikdash, he's saying that what Rab Chaim means is Kodshe Mizbeach are also owned by the owners, but they are also owned by the Beis HaMikdash. So both sides have some ownership rights in this animal. So that, of course, would explain how Rab Chaim can say in the second piece that the problem of Me'ila for Kodshem Mizbeach is stealing from Hektish because Rab Chaim's not saying that Hektish doesn't own it at all. He's just saying that the owners continue to have ownership rights even after it becomes a carbon. The problem with this approach is it's not clear how well it works in the actual sources of Rab Chaim that are quoting this idea from him, as well as in the first piece in Hilchos Me'ila where he does seem to imply that Kodshem Mizbeach are not fully owned by the Beis HaMikdash. But either way, that's the first suggestion. Now, he quotes from Rab Chaim's grandson, Rab Yashaber Salavechik, in his Rishimos Shi'urim an Nidarim, that he asks not exactly this question. He's not dealing with how to make sense of the pieces in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, but he asks a sort of similar question, and he suggests a very creative original answer, which is the Gemara says, according to Rab Yossi Aglili, there's no Me'ila on Kodshim Kalim. So 
it means that it still belongs to the owners. So he suggests that what this means is that when the Torah applied the rules of Me'ila, that is how something is acquired by the Beis HaMikdash. So when someone sanctifies something to the Beis HaMikdash, that alone does not transfer ownership. But once the Torah steps in and says there's laws of Me'ila, so the owner is no longer able to benefit from this item, so that's what transfers the ownership to the Beis HaMikdash. So according to Rav Salavechik, this idea of Rav Chaim, that the Beis HaMikdash doesn't acquire Kodshem Mizbeach, means that when someone sanctifies the animal, it still doesn't belong to the Beis HaMikdash. But once there's the laws of Me'ila, so then at that point it does belong to the Beis HaMikdash because the person can't use it anymore, so they don't own it. Now the Beis HaMikdash owns it, so now we could say that Me'ila means stealing from the Beis HaMikdash. So this is a very intriguing idea that the transfer of ownership for Hektish happens through the laws of Me'ila, and it also modifies what Rab Chaim is saying, that Rab Chaim only meant when the person sanctifies the animal, it doesn't belong to the Beis HaMikdash. But once the laws of Me'ila kick in, then it does belong to the Beis HaMikdash. Again, it's not clear how well this works in the actual traditions quoted from Rab Chaim, and whether it works in the first piece in Hilchos Me'ila, because there he does seem to imply that the Beis HaMikdash does not own the Kodshei Mizbeach. Now, the Me'aron himself suggests also a very creative approach. This is based on an idea from his Rebbe, Reb Zalman Zeleznik. He suggested that the ownership of Hektish means something totally different than when a regular person owns something. So even though we keep comparing whether it's Hektish's property or it belongs to the owners, but those two concepts actually mean something very different. Because when someone owns property, it's theirs, so they can use it for whatever they want. As opposed to Hektish, where when it's given Kodshe Mizbeach, it's for a very specific reason. So it's goal-oriented. The ownership is only in order to accomplish this specific goal. That's why once the goal is done, then Hektish loses ownership of that property. We don't find any such concept for private ownership. If I own something with an intended goal and I accomplish the goal, it doesn't remove my ownership. So the fact that Hektish loses ownership after the goal's been accomplished means that the whole ownership of Hektish in Kodshem Mizbeach is totally different. It doesn't mean that they own it for whatever use they want. It means that they own it for a specific purpose and they can accomplish that purpose with this item. So now using this idea, he basically collapses the whole distinction as to whether it's the owner's property or it transfers to Hektish. Because even if it remains the owner's financial property, it still must be used for a carbon because he sanctified this animal. So it now has a specific goal, and if someone uses it for another purpose, that's a violation of Me'ila. The same way Rab Chaim said that using Hektish's property for personal benefit is a violation of Me'ila because you're changing the purpose. So the same would be true even if the owner owns the Kodshem Izbeach, but it has a very specific purpose that it needs to be used for. So if someone uses it, they're stealing it from that purpose. So again, this is a very creative idea. It gets to a very important issue of what does it even mean for Hektish to own something because Hektish doesn't own property for its own use. It owns the property in order to do something specific for it. So that's a very important idea and that may help resolve some of the contradictions in Rab Chaim. So those are some of the May Aaron's suggestions. Again, he has a very long discussion of this. Rab Chaim goes through numerous details and he tries to explain a lot of the concepts Rab Chaim's discussing with a lot more clarity and depth. But we're going to leave 
leave it there in terms of trying to figure out how these two pieces work together. Now, one final thing to do, I want to go through some of the ideas of Rab Chaim, which are quoted by his grandson, Rabbi Yashaber Salavechik, in Rishimos Shiurim Anidarim, because a lot of these ideas seem blatant contradictions to some of the ideas in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi. So we're not going to really try to resolve them, but I just want to note some of the totally different traditions from Rab Chaim, which are recorded by his grandson. So in Rishimos Shiurim, in the volume on Shavuos and Nedarim, in the back of the section on Nedarim, there's a few longer essays. One of them is about Tzedakah, and one of them is about Meila. Now, in the essay on Tzedakah, Rav Soloveitchik quotes from his grandfather this idea that we've been discussing in this recording, that Kodshe Mizbeach are not owned by the Beis HaMikdash, they're owned by the owners. And he applies this idea to explain the Rambam and Gneva Perak Beis that we discussed, but he also has a number of other questions in Halacha that he answers based on this idea. Now, in the essay on Meila, so there he quotes a few ideas from Rab Chaim, and a lot of them contradict some of the things that we've been saying so far. So first of all, Rav Soloveitchik discusses throughout the issue of whether the problem with Meila is stealing or Isurin. So even though his father and his grandfather seemed pretty clearly on the side that it's Gezel, Rav Soloveitchik himself seems more open to both sides, which is not a problem. He can have his own independent views, but he does attribute to Rab Chaim a number of traditions which sound like Rab Chaim himself also believed that there were parts of Meila which are not related to Gezel. It's not a matter of stealing, it's a matter of Isurin. So that really seems to fly in the face of the second piece in Hilchos Meila, where Rab Chaim seems pretty convinced that Meila is about Gezel Hektish. According to Rav Soloveitchik, Rab Chaim had other ideas which are based on the idea that some Meila, at least, is not related to Gezel Hektish. So first, Rav Soloveitchik discusses the issue whether the Rambam believes that that there's two types of me'ila like Tosvos does. Tosvos has two different types of me'ila. One is benefiting or getting pleasure from Hektish. The second is picking up and removing Hektish from the ownership of the Beis HaMikdash. Now, we mentioned in the previous recording that the Orsameach, at the beginning of Hilchus Me'ila, Perak Vav, he claims that the Rambam disagrees with Tosvos about this, and he holds that, according to the Rambam, the only form of me'ila is benefiting and using the object. But simply removing it from the ownership of Hektish is not considered Me'ila. Now, Rab Chaim, in the second piece of Hilchus Me'ila, when he compares and contrasts Tosfos and the Rambam, so he seems to disagree with Or Sameach about this, and he seems to believe that even according to the Rambam, there are these two different types of Me'ila. But he doesn't say it explicitly. Now, Rab Salavechik does quote explicitly from his grandfather, Rab Chaim, that he did believe, according to the Rambam, there are these two different types of Me'ila. One is benefiting from the object, and one is lifting it up and taking it out of the ownership of the Beis HaMikdash. But Rav Soloveitchik goes a step further and he says that Rab Chaim was accustomed to saying so apparently this was a well-known idea of Rab Chaim that according to the Rambam there are these two different types of Me'ila but now Rav Soloveitchik adds that the Me'ila of pleasure is not a form of stealing. The Me'ila of removing the item from Hektish's property that's stealing. But the other type of Me'ila of deriving 
gaining benefit from this item, the problem there is not stealing, the problem is using a sanctified object. So Rav Soloveitchik really limits Rav Chaim's view that Me'ila is Gezel Hektish, according to this tradition. It's only referring to the kind of Me'ila that Tosvos and the Rambam came up with of removing an item from Hektish's property, but benefiting from Hektish, which is the standard form of Me'ila. So according to Rab Chaim, that's not because of Gezel, it's because of Isurin. So again, this does not seem to fit into the gist of how Rab Chaim discusses this issue in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, but that's the tradition that Rab Soloveitchik quotes from him. And then Rav Soloveitchik quotes another idea from Rav Chaim, which is even a step further about this whole idea. The Rambam in Me'ila Aleph Gimel writes that the prohibition of Me'ila comes from Losuchal Lechol Bisharecha. You cannot eat the meat. So Rab Chaim asked, that only teaches us the standard form of Me'ila of benefiting from the hectish item, eating it. But what about the other form of Me'ila of taking something out of the property of hectish? From where do we derive that prohibition? So Rab Chaim answered that that prohibition comes from the regular old prohibition of stealing. Just like you can't steal from someone's private property, so you can't steal the property of hectish. It's the exact same thing. So according to this tradition of Rab Chaim, the two forms of Me'ila are derived from two different sources. The standard type of Me'ila of benefiting from hektish is from the Torah's discussion of Me'ila, but the new form of Me'ila of taking something out of the property of the Beis HaMikdash is derived from the regular old prohibition of not stealing. Now this is a very strong formulation because basically according to this, Rab Chaim is saying that when he calls Me'ila Gezel Hektish, there's no daylight between that form of stealing and stealing from a regular person. So that's a very strong formulation. And the Me'aron points out that according to some of the other traditions of Rab Chaim, it's possible to say that even though Me'ila is stealing from Hektish, but it's a little bit of a different type of stealing than regular stealing. But according to this idea, when Rab Chaim says that Me'ila is stealing from Hektish, it literally means it's synonymous with regular stealing. Now again, according to this tradition, Rab Chaim is limiting the whole idea that Me'ila is stealing only to when someone lifted it up out of the property of Hektish, but if they benefited from it, so that's derived from a different source in the Torah, and the problem in that case is benefiting from something sanctified. And then Rav Soloveitchik quotes the idea that we mentioned earlier. He tries to explain how you can steal from Hektish, Kodshem Izbeach, if according to Rab Chaim they don't belong to Hektish, and that's what he mentions, that Me'ila makes it into Hektish's. So once the laws of Me'ila kick in, so it automatically becomes Hektish's, even if it didn't belong to them before that. So that's the idea we mentioned earlier from Rav Soloveitchik. Now, just to end with the most blatant contradiction in the Rashima's Shiurim between what he quotes from Rab Chaim versus Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi. So back in the essay on Tzedakah, Rav Soloveitchik quotes the Tosus Yeshanim and Krisus Yud Gimel Amid Beis, which we discussed in the previous recording. Tosus Yeshanim says, like the Nesivas, that when it comes to Kodshei Berek there needs to be a Shave Pruta in order to violate Me'ila, whereas Kodshei Mizbeach don't require a Shave Pruta. So we discussed this at the end of the previous recording. This is the basis for the Nesivis' view that Kodshe Berekabayis are a problem of Gezel Hektish, whereas Kodshe Mizbeach are a problem of using Hektish. So Rav Soloveitchik quotes effectively the exact same interpretation from his grandfather Rab Chaim. So how to make sense of this is very difficult because it really seems to fly against the whole gist of the second piece of Hilchus Me'ila in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi. But basically, if we accept this tradition 
Mishnah that Rav Soloveitchik is quoting, and he doesn't elaborate on it, he just makes the point quickly. If we accept this, so then it means that at least at some point, Rav Chaim accepted the view of the Nesivis, that the difference between Me'ila of Kachem Izbeach and Kachem Berakabayis is that the Beis HaMikdash doesn't own Kachem Izbeach, so Me'ila is Yisurin, whereas it does own Kachem Berakabayis, so Me'ila is Gezel Hektish. So basically, Rav Soloveitchik, who is very familiar with Rav Chaim's Torah, probably including these pieces in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, he does quote this tradition, which seems to fly in the face of everything we've seen, and the Me'aron picks up on this, that it's a big problem. So we're not going to try to resolve this in any way, but we do see from all of this discussion how important this topic was to the great brisker Torah figures and how much time and effort they put in trying to understand this point.